Merry Christmas and welcome to Fats on Film. I am your host Hannah Ogilvy, and this is the podcast where we discuss all things fat representation in film, TV, and wider media. This week, I have co-host of the I Spit on Your Grades podcast and returning guest back from Bridget Jones's Diary. It's Faye. Hi, Faye. Hello. How's it going? I went very high voice there, didn't I? Oh. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Whatever you're comfortable doing, we're good. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll smooth into it. Yeah, you, you just, you know, I appreciate sometimes, I don't know if you have this, but I work from home. So I very rarely, I can go sometimes like hours without talking to anybody. Mm. And so when I do finally have that conversation with someone, it can, like, my voice takes a while to actually, like, I don't know, mellow out into its natural yeah. <laughs> rhythm. I find as well since working from home that I've become much more Yorkshire because I'm not putting on my professional voice the whole time so my Yorkshire's kind of slipping in and yeah I'm becoming a really old Sheffield woman <laughs> so, I love that this idea that you know you have to put on this front for people at work you know it's, it sound like quote-unquote more professional mm. which is apparently like diluting your accent which is really sad isn't it it is but I don't blame them as well because they wouldn't be able to understand me if I do you not think went, no no um I don't know if you know Caitlin. Caitlin, scared cheekless. Yes, Caitlin, she, our friend. She says when we when we first started talking to each other, she, she struggled to understand some of the things I was saying. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm wow. apparently broad. I didn't think I was, but I'm apparently broad Yorkshire. So I mean, I you know I'm not a good judge either because I also live in Sheffield, so I'm just used to hearing it. So yeah, yeah we do need we kind of do need the outsider's perspective of like, is this a thick accent or not? It's like um, so I grew up in Scotland, but my accent's like weakened over the years. And when I lived in Scotland, I never had a particularly strong accent because my mum is from London, so mm. having that you know naturalization, I never had the strongest accent. And then I moved to Spain when I was 13 years old and I went to an international school with all these like mainly English kids and everyone was saying we can't understand you you're too Scottish and I was like oh my god what a mindfuck I, I was either not Scottish enough or now I'm too Scottish but either or no one can understand me oh, no. <laughs> what do I do <laughs> if it helps you seem to have reached a happy medium now and I can fully understand what you're saying so fantastic I mean maybe yeah. maybe this is um okay complete tangent but I did performing arts GCSE and we had this teacher her name was um, Mrs Millington and Faye hated her hated her oh, so no. much I she loved was... my drama teacher oh my god well, I'm so her. jealous I am so so jealous because she like Miss Millington was just like if she's listening I hated you <laughs> and <laughs> Um, she, she, we had to do this. You might have to do this, where you did like a, you know, beginning of term kind of showcase of your talent type thing. And mm. I did this monologue, and I put my whole like ass into this. I was like giving it, you know, proper actress. And her comment was, "Your accent is far too thick. We need to work on your diction." And it scarred me. I was like, oh. I think we need to work on your attitude, Miss Millington. Thank no, you. No, honestly, truly, truly, we she really needed an attitude adjustment. Like a very bitter woman, and um, but like for years, I thought like, oh, I must have like really bad diction. And then as I've got older, I realised, oh, I actually didn't. She was just a cow. <laughs> <laughs> Making it brief, because I know we're here for Love Actually and no one's going to it, but yeah. um, there's actually, my, my drama teacher was quite famous in Sheffield. Oh uh, my she God, was called okay. Nancy, 
Yeah, she was called Anne Sellers and she was in the movie Threads. And she is um, she's down on the cast list as woman who urinates, but it's not actually her. No! <laughs> it's not her. So for years, all these people are thinking she was the woman who peed on herself and it wasn't actually her. She's the one that scoops up a child and runs away. What a legacy. And she has not passed, unfortunately. So RIP, Miss Sellers. You're my favourite teacher. Sidestep back into why we're here. Uh, I yes. did say Merry Christmas at the top of this episode because we're here to talk about Love Actually. Love Actually, 2003 Christmas rom-com written and directed. His directorial debut, Richard oh. Curtis. I know. I just assumed he directed Four Weddings, but yeah. apparently not. He just wrote it. I don't know who directed it. I could have. I could have researched that and I didn't. Um, it features an ensemble cast, and I am going to go through it, um, of mainly British actors. We have Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, Marty McCutcheon, Bill Nye, Gregor Fisher, Kieran Knightley, Charlotte Ejiofor, Andrew Lincoln, Colin Firth. Uh, I'm going to say her name's Lucia Moniz or Moniv. I apologise if I said that wrong. Yeah. Um, Liam Neeson, Thomas Sangster, Laura Linney, Rodrigo Santoro. Oh my God, Rodrigo Santoro is so fucking hot in this film. Uh, Chris Marshall, Abdul Salas. Um, I get. I I'm going to butcher this name, and I apologize. Heike Makach, maybe that's Mia, um, Martin Freeman, Joanna Page, and Olivia Olsen as Joanna. Love Actually was a box office success, grossing two hundred and forty-six million dollars on a budget of around forty to forty-five million. It received a nomination at the Golden Globes for Best Motion Picture for a Musical or Comedy and Best Screenplay. BAFTA. Best Supporting Actor won for Bill Nye and nominated for Emma Thompson. And Martin McCutcheon won Best Newcomer at the Empire Awards and Andrew Lincoln was also nominated. What? (laughs) I, 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 I just assumed, maybe this is wrong, because Bridget Jones did have an impact on the award circuit as well. And we've obviously spoken about that. I, I, I personally wouldn't have thought it hit that level of standard. No, no, it doesn't. Baf, BAFTA. Bill Nye won a BAFTA for this. He's in it for like twelve minutes. It's <laughs> literally, that. literally, yeah. I know. Oh, oh my god! I mean, he is what he is. One of the better characters. I will give him that. He feels a lot more fleshed out than some of them, uh-huh. while still not being fleshed out at all. But that's yeah. that's what I'll get onto with this film. That's the problem. I yeah. Think. yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you have a um, a film where you have, I mean, I don't even know how many storylines it must have, but at least at least eight, right? At least eight, eight intertwining storylines. Um, you are going. You have to sacrifice character development. Because this is not going to be an eight-hour film, is it? No. And it feels to me, uh, like Love Actually, maybe Richard Curtis had bits and bobs of ideas for other films and couldn't quite flesh them out and said, hey, let's just throw them all together. I don't know if that was his process, but that's certainly what it feels like to me. Uh, Well, go into the plot synopsis and I'll give you some more on that. The plot synopsis for it is basically um, eight strange... Well, not strangers... Eight characters who are all intertwined somehow, but yet never seem to recognise each other in any scene. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> it, it follows their lives over the Christmas period. And we have love, we have loss, we have grief. Every, everything you want to throw together in a Christmas film, this film has it. 
Um, it's an ensemble piece, and yeah, that's about it. As simple as it is, really. Yeah, yeah. It, it without going into the details of each storyline. Yes, that is as simple as it can be. Like it takes place about five weeks before Christmas, and we're kind of running up to Christmas, um, which is a busy is a busy time in anybody's life, I guess. But in these particular characters, they're having life altering moments um which uh happen once in a blue moon once in a millennia and everything's happening at once and you're right when you mention characters who don't recognize that they've been together for me and i don't know if this is for you um at julia and peter's wedding you have colin firth and laura linney sitting next to each other and they never interact again for a film and clearly they just brought the two together to be like see everyone knows everyone Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. <sighs> I... <laughs> so I, let's talk. Let's let's set the scene then for the top. What do you like this film, Faye? Is it one of your go-to Christmas films every year? It is a it's a Christmas staple in mm-hmm. my watchers every single year. Yep. I cannot tell you why. Mm-hmm. I don't know why because this film every time I watch it. physically angers me to Uh the point I go what is going on why am I watching this Uh this is clearly just winding me up but I have to watch it Uh I don't know why I have to I I think I want to buy into this Richard Curtis Mm. it's a wonderful life everything is grand but then I just watch it thinking you Tory (laughs) (laughs) everyone in it is basically uh he's got a formula Mm. and there's something about that formula that drags me in and I don't know what it is because I will never be able to relate to any of these characters I don't have the wealth I don't have the location of their houses I don't have their friends I don't know why I want to watch it so much but I do every single year yeah I mean I'm the same I think since 2003 when it came out this I have watched it every single year and what's interesting is I remember having a conversation with my mum maybe the following year or maybe, I don't know, sometime after this film came out. I remember, I mean, how old have I been? I'd have been 11. And I remember going to him like, I don't think it's really good. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's a classic. It's, it's a modern classic. Oh, it's so good. And, you know, Hugh Grant and, and Bill Nye. Um, for me, this is definitely the first time I saw Bill Nye. So I think, mm. um, so that was like my introduction to him as an actor. Oh, Bill Nye's so funny. Like all this. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I guess I've kind of like gaslit myself for the past X amount of years going, oh, no, wait, it's a good, it's a good film. It's a good film. And then when I watched it, I... I've literally just done this with The Holiday as well. So I recorded The Holiday with friend of the pod, Caitlin M. Cairns. And watching both of these films with this incredibly analytical lens that we've done for it, I go, oh, I have really strong reasons now why I didn't like this when I was younger. I'm not saying I'm never going to watch this film again. I will continue to watch every year because it has become a British classic. But... There is so much wrong with it. And, you you know, you said there, part of the problem is, and we had the exact same problem with The Holiday, is its accessibility. So in The Holiday, all four of the main characters are in incredibly lucrative, creative jobs, right? And in this, I had that exact same idea on, like, well, what what, what does everyone do for work? And everyone has, like, a really interesting, creative, you know, um 
what should I say, creative facing job, apart mm. from arguably Chris Marshall, who is literally in catering. He he seems yes. to have the most working class job. And I'm not saying um, Joanna Page and um, Martin Freeman's job will be that highly paid just being like lighting standards, but they're still within that creative industry. Is that what you think they do, lighting standards? Yeah, they it's are. Never clear. Yeah, is that they what are. It is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They right. definitely are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what they're filming because. Yeah. I mean, we do... that, is, that is not that is not getting released in a cinema. I tell no. you that. No, that is I... too graphic. Way too graphic. Way too graphic. But yeah, it's me- they're meant to be light lighting standards. Okay. Yes. Well, Richard Curtis really doesn't know about that area of a job, does he? Jesus. Even though he works on fills, he should. But again, it's just like, oh, well, let's just get Joanna Page's tits out. But you know what, Joanna? I hope you got paid. I hope you got paid good money. I'm Martin Freeman. I'm Martin Freeman for that. I hope they got paid good yeah. money for those scenes because it wouldn't, it, I personally wouldn't feel overly comfortable just doing that for like, what, five minutes of screen time? But who knows? No, no. The thing is, as well, as you said with Chris Marshall, the Colin character. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, he's got. To me, he's got the most pointless storyline in this oh. entire film. What? What is it? What does it do? Oh. It furthers <laughs> nothing. It helps nobody. So it's almost saying, "Hey, this low-paid loser mm-hmm. just wants to go to America and have sex." That I watched that, and I went, "This is Richard Curtis's fantasy." You know, the way. <laughs> The way that Chris speaks about um, Chris Marshall, Colin, is going to be really confusing because there's also Colin Firth. Mm. So Chris Marshall's Colin, he's really pervy. That's how we're introduced to him, you know, beautiful muffin for a beautiful lady. And he says in the car, English girls, no, I think he's, English girls are stuck up. I should go to America. I have a cute British accent. They love British accents. And his friend's like, you don't have a British accent. He's like, yes, I do. I'm going to America. And it's this idea of like, um, you know, the thing is, any other film would have him go and like fall flat on his face. But Richard Curtis gives him the ultimate fantasy where these four incredibly hot women, um, you know, Alicia Cuthbert, January Jones, baby January Jones at that, mm-hmm. Shannon Elizabeth, Denise Richards, are all like head over heels in love with him just because he has an accent. Not because of what he says, not because he's good looking, but because he has an accent. And I was like, this is just, this is just Richard Curtis wanking on camera to me. And I found it really really off-putting this watch through i didn't think of that but now i will think of nothing else oh well there you are that's that's my christmas gift to you (laughs) thank you what a gift what a gift (laughs) oh i know i know i i the thing is again when i was younger i used to find the chris marshall character so funny because i like the my family i like how like ridiculous he is you know but watching it now as I'm older, probably not far off the age he was in this film, I'm like, oh, it's just really predatory. It's odd. <laughs> it's it's odd. an odd storyline to have. Oh, no. It's 20 I mean, you, you years were... old, this film. The first time I saw it, I went to the cinema with mm-hmm. an ex and we both walked out hating it. Oh, interesting. I, I, not... I hated it. I was Ooh. like, what was that? And then I watched it back the next christmas i was mm-hmm. like oh actually 
it's got actually Rickman in it and you know uh-huh. I, I quite like it yeah and I, like you I, I gaslit myself to believe that <laughs> I really love this film yeah but but you're right that some of the actors in it like Alan Rickman like Emma Thompson like Hugh Grant like Colin Firth they are like some of my favorite in British acting yeah. and so for that I'm like yeah no let's let's watch it you know it's just when you pull back the one superficial layer, you realise there's not really much going on. And I was really struck this time about how Curtis clearly misunderstands what love and lust is. Because a lot of these characters just want to bang. They don't love each other. They just want to bang. And that's fine. That's fine. But that's not love. <laughs> that is no. not love. No. Was it um, Richard Curtis who did The Boat That Rocked as well? Yes, it was him. Oh, so that that's obviously makes a lot of sense because that's more predatory behaviour in that film as well. I've only ever saw it once and it would have been when it came out, so I don't remember it at all. There was a scene with, um, oh my gosh, what's the name? Gemma Arterton? Oh, yeah. Gemma Arterton? Um mm-hmm. Or, or another girl. I'm sorry, I forget. I forget which one it was. But there's a scene basically where one of them is going to be sleeping with a girl, um, going to be sleeping with what she believes is Nick Frost, and then mm-hmm. Nick Frost goes off to the toilet and sends another guy out to have sex with her. Oh, which essentially is you know R, but um, mm. yeah, that kind of makes sense now in terms of that behaviour. I didn't think I didn't make that connection before, but uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Love, love yes. that. Love that for us. Um, okay. But anyway, so we've talked about how we how we feel about this film at the, at the highest level. But why are we talking about this film on this podcast, Fats and Film, Faye? Um, for the fat representation. <laughs> or uh-huh. the, the mocking of certain plus-size ladies in this film. I know, I know. I Some think... that aren't even plus-size, all I, that aren't plus-size, but... I was going to say, we have another Bridget Jones situation where um, we are being told that Marty McCutcheon's character played, um, her character is Natalie, who, what is her role at, at 10 Down the Street? She is meant to be the tea person. Tea girl. Tea yeah. lady. Tea lady yeah. to Hugh Grant's prime minister. And we are told on multiple occasions that we are meant to view this woman, Marty McCutcheon, who is not fat, we're being told that she is. And it is so distressing and so sad. It's so sad. I'm so over it. I'm so over Richard Curtis and the people he's married to telling me that somebody is fat when they're not. I know. There is nothing wrong. Martine McCutcheon looks stunning in this film. She looks so good. She looks so good in this film. I, mm-hmm. I think she's great. I think she's so funny that the scene where she gets introduced to David and you know she you know like I didn't think I was going to fuck up on the first day. Opposite. That is so good. That's such good delivery. It's it's good writing. I'll give Curtis that. It's good writing there. Love it. And then when the woman comes around, she's like, "Did you see what I did?" I just went, "Bleh." <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's oh, so she's good. so cute in it. <laughs> she's so cute. And then, yeah, obviously, like, um, Hugh Grant's incredibly uh, power-abusive prime minister. Um, 
<laughs> um, fancies he, he no, he is. He he effectively gets her demoted. Yes. And that yes, really pisses me off because it's not her fault. Billy Bob Thornton assaults her. I, I, watching that, watching that clip, I don't understand how that could be misinterpreted from the look on her face her any face. other way. She is shook. She looks exactly. terrified. And yet, Hugh Grant's response is to get um, the aide to um, replace her somewhere else, effectively demoting her. Um, and uh, you know that's when the Annie, um, Annie goes, uh, "Oh, the, the chubby girl. Oh, what do we call her, chubby? Oh, sizable arse there. Yes, sir. Huge thighs. Huge thighs. That actress were a bitch in Teachers, and she's a bitch in this as well. Uh, ah, well, hmm. there she's we go. She's a good actress. No, she's she is a good actress. But yeah, she plays bitchy characters, um, <laughs> which is weird. It's weird for him to defend her, especially after." She he sees her with Billy Bob Thornton mm. and makes the assumption, obviously, that she's getting it on with him or she's interested how? in him. But then, I know, I mean, I don't know how. I don't know how you can misinterpret no. that any other way, mm. or sorry, interpret that any other way. Um, but when he makes his speech, oh, he's all for he's all for saying to Billy Bob Thornton, "I'm not taking this bullying behavior," as if he's as if what he has seen is him abusing his power there, but then gets a demoted. So. Pick a side, Grant. Which one? No, see, I interpret the, um, like, fuck you America scene as if Billy Bob Thornton has played with his favourite toy without asking his permission. That's how Uh, I interpret it. He's gone, how dare you play with my Natalie? That's my toy. And he's gone, you can't take my toys no more. And then he goes off on his speech. Also, on that... That speech is like so highly regarded in like pop culture, right? And like Tony Blair had to make a statement about that speech, like because he was like, oh, like actual real prime ministers can't do that because of consequences. That speech is barely 30 seconds long. And in my head, though, I thought it, was like, it went on for minutes. It's trash. It's absolute <laughs> trash. <laughs> there was nothing to it. Yeah. It is not fleshed out in any way. It's, it's just words. No, it's just shallow uh, words. The, the, but they build up the momentum with the music. The music. And people going, oh, look what he's doing. He's yes. doing nothing. He's nothing. doing nothing at all. Bare minimum. Like the music does so much heavy lifting in this film. Um, yeah you know all 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 credit there absolutely but yeah the the prime ministers really make me laugh because when they have the like you know the the meeting with the the american side and they're just saying the vaguest things like with all due respect they were bad policies what policies like there's just there's you know they make it very clear that we're not going to say which party Hugh Grant's meant to represent and um, we're going to talk about these incredibly high-level, vague stuff so no one can insinuate what we're talking about. But it means it's just nothing. It's just word salad. It's so good. It's so, like it's so funny to watch. <laughs> but it's not until you get older that you realise no, that there's nothing in that. That's it. But that's it. But, but you have to remember Richard Curtis was older when he wrote this. We're older yeah. now. When now we're watching it for twenty years, going, oh, actually, but he was older when he wrote this. He should have realized there's actually no context here. No, I, I think Love Actually as a whole feels 
hmm. like Curtis box ticking a lot. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. got some backlashes, and you don't have black people in your films. Yes. You don't have gay people in your films. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he tries to hone in on this and go, "No, look, I do, I do. I've put mm-hmm. some in. See, like, come on." Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that. That's what it feels like this for me. But yeah, um, it's not. It's again, as I said at the beginning, it's not fleshed out, and this is the problem. Yeah, with every storyline you get, it's just a passing moment, and I guess mm. it's supposed to be because you can't yeah. concentrate on all these characters at once. Mm-hmm. But that's what makes it feel empty. Mm-hmm. Well. It's, it's- You've brought me back to that. So I read in the trivia that um, Richard Curtis had two film ideas. So one film idea was the Prime Minister falling in love with um, a staff member of Downing Street. Mm. And another film idea was basically the Colin Firth Aurelia um, storyline where his uh, wife or girlfriend treats and he goes through the French Chateau again, you know. Where is it? Where are we? Money and time to just go off to a French chateau to write. Yeah, amazing. Um, with with Aurelia and uh, yeah. So those were two different film ideas he had, and then I think he realized that they weren't enough to have a film on their own. So he brought them together, and that's where Love Actually came from. Yeah, it shows. Yeah, exactly. The fact that you (laughs) you you called that without knowing that like proves everything. Yeah, do better, Curtis. Write better films. <laughs> just, just write better, better scripts. And what have you and your wife got against fat people? Well, let's go back to that then. So, why is it so important to the storyline that the the film is trying to tell the audience that she's that she's bigger? Why is that so important? I think ugh, Curtis and Fielding love to do this thing where they will see. A, a weightier girl let's say because they're not overweight not my god no. not even weightier. I, I can't even put it i can't even give a name for it but they think that they think that their representation of an overweight person is relatable and that's what will draw you into that character and make you love them they're not skinny they're not american you know like in bridget jones where yes he cheats and you've got you you skinny american mm-hmm. that's people don't want to watch that people don't want to People don't want to relate to somebody like that, and they can't. So if you have mm. someone who's real looking, then they're more inclined to like them. I think th- I think that's what they think when they're writing these characters. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic deduction, because you're right. It, it, Natalie is meant to be the every girl, isn't she? Mm. You know, she uh, it'd be amazing to like, see, like, how, did, how does she end up in this job? You know, but she's clearly from a relatively working class background. You know, she lives with her parents you know she lives in a terraced house um you know she's just from her accent you can tell she probably didn't go to public school like all of these things make sense and then you add on the fact that she's carrying maybe a bit more weight on the bones like i genuinely and i'm not saying this because of the theme of this podcast i'm saying this as a genuine human being i do not see it I do not see it. No. There's a there's a scene where she's literally profile on, and she's t- she's tiny. She is literally tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I went looking to see what Marty McCutcheon thought of this. Um, so there's a few articles um that she is she's commented on this. So this is from the Sun. I'm sorry, okay. <laughs> so it says in the years that followed, many fumed over the alleged sizes comments in Love Actually. But the actress defended the film in a 2017 Cosmopolitan interview. Martine said, 
you're meant to go, no, she's not overweight. I think she's lovely. She insisted that Natalie was meant to be a beautiful girl, highlighted by her being able to turn the Prime Minister's head. So, so far, I agree with that, right? Mm -hmm. We are, she's beautiful. We, We as the audience are meant to go, she's not fat. Martine then goes on to say that the jibes were meant to help other women realize that their issues, in air quotes, with weight, in it, with air quotes, weren't real issues. She explained, quote, every woman thinks there's something wrong with them when in actual fact, they are perfect and lovely as they are. Natalie was meant to be the embodiment of that. And I think sometimes people have missed that point. Fair your thoughts. Have that as your narrative then. Have Literally. have that come over on screen. Don't it, it, blink twice if you're okay, Martin McCutcheon, because I think uh, Richard Curtis has you under something here. Um, that, <laughs> I, I don't buy that at all. I'm sorry. It fe- it feels too cruel a jibe. To it feels like the saying that it's it's not okay to be that size. Yeah. And I, I'm not buying. I'm not buying what she's saying. No. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more with you. Like, when I read that, I went, and I no disrespect to Martine, I, I really don't mean to sound rude, but I'm going to come across as rude. I genuinely think she's misunderstood her plot because mm. there's no there's uh, there's no way you would get that reading from what you see. And because I was explaining this to my partner, and we'll get into it in a second, but Emma Thompson, her character Karen, she has a line where she goes, I feel fat, and and Alan Rickman's Harry goes, oh, don't be ridiculous. Now, if Natalie had said that, and then Martin McCutcheon said this, I would understand these two thoughts coming together. Because it is, if Natalie was the one saying, oh, I'm fat, and then Hugh Grant was being like, what would we call her chubby? Like that kind of thing. I would totally understand this point of view. Like, you know, the films, the audience in the film is like, no, you're not fat, you're not. But Natalie herself never calls herself fat. It's the people around her. And therefore, it's not an insecurity that women have and they're not real issues to, like, air quote, uh, Martine. This is what the film has an issue with. Yep. It's like, uh, in an ideal world, you would have Emma Thompson say, I feel fat. And Mm -hmm. then Alan Rickman would turn around and go, wouldn't matter if you would. Happy with Mm -hmm. you at any size. Mm -hmm. Rather than go, don't be ridiculous, because don't be ridiculous. You're not fat. Puts that negative slant on it again. You're so, so so right. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with being fat? Like, what's wrong with it? Exactly. That's my point. Yeah. But this was 2003, 2003. Times have changed since that's 20 years ago. Times are different. 100% agree. Um, There's just one more thing I want to say that Martine said. So this is an article for Digital Spy. So this is a quote. First of all, it's another woman, meaning Annie, the aide, that mentions Natalie's weight and Natalie herself. Of course, it's easy to say now, we would have done this, we would have done that. But I also think that the characters weren't being politically correct. They weren't perfect humans. They were talking about their insecurities, their affairs. Natalie, bless her, is so innocent in telling the Prime Minister about her insecurities. And I think that's part of what makes it so charming and real. There are a lot of things that you're not allowed to say now, but I think that in a film that covers so much emotion and so much love, you need a little bit of reality in there. It's not always about ticking all the boxes. Uh, I understand what she's saying. 
I think However, she's conflating two things. You you get people who go uh, about, let's say, racist stuff, and people will go, you used to be able to say this. Yeah. You used to be able to you can't say that anymore. Yeah. There's a reason you can't say that anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, what do you think of it? What I, 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 I think I understand where she's coming from. I just don't think she executes it very well in what she says. Because, um, again, like Natalie herself doesn't call herself fat. That's, but she yeah. says that she does and that that's wrong. Unless there's a deleted scene where she does and she doesn't remember that it's not in the final cut, I don't know. But she doesn't actually say that. And also, like, yeah, yeah the characters weren't being PC, but they're also not being right either because natalie isn't like isn't fat like she just isn't she's just a little i don't know maybe she's a size 10 instead of a size 6 maybe it's something as basic as that and yet the the problem is it's like not recognizing what calling someone who's a size 10 as fat chubby plump plumpy ploppy what what, what does the dad call her plumpy (laughs) something like that plumpy um, and then, like, at the just just to really hammer home how much this film hates Natalie, um, the last two lines of this film are when Natalie runs into David's arms. Side note, she'd have been shot on sight. There's no way she'd have got up, been able to do that. Runs into his arms and he lifts her up in his real romantic kiss. And he says, gosh, you weigh a lot. And she goes, shut your face. Which is a completely the right why? response, by the way. But why? Why, why did why? he have to say that? He didn't. No. But this is this is freaking Curtis's obsession with constantly bringing up women's weight and and but bringing them down, undermining them. Well, I'll, I'll say the same as I said last time, though. This <laughs> I won't go into it a lot because obviously I bored you to tears with it last time. No, you didn't. But this this is the era of body shaming of women. It was horrible and it was going on so much, and maybe Curtis was taking influence from that and going, "Well, this is." This is the Times, and he's been reading Heat and going, yeah, actually, this person is overweight yeah. when they're not. Yeah, you know. totally. Well, on that, um, Richard Curtis did an interview for The Hollywood Reporter relatively recently. I did not note down the, the date or the year, um, but just take my word for it. Um, I will, I'll put a link in the show notes so you'll prove I'm not actually bullshitting. So he said, after noting that his daughter was right about not using the word fat anymore in his projects, he added, quote i think i was behind you know behind the curve and those jokes aren't aren't any longer funny so i don't feel i was malicious at the time but i think i was unobservant and not as you know as clever as i should have been i'll give him that yeah i'll give him that yeah i I fully fully agree there's like i mean what we do try to do on this podcast is we acknowledge that time has passed but we have to recognize the impact this does have right that's the thing like I'm not saying you should um, completely erase media or arts just because it's now offensive. I mean, I think there are definitely levels within that. Um, But if we can have, you know, people now watch Love Actually and be like, oh, fuck, this is so fat phobic. That's fantastic. That's growth. That's evolution. If people still in 2023 watch Love Actually and don't see what the problem is, that's an issue, you know? So I really appreciate Richard Curtis actually just acknowledging that yeah. he could have been better. And that's a decent thing to do. That's, mm-hmm. that's you know, like what you'd expect somebody to do in mm-hmm. his position. So, yeah, mm-hmm. he gets that. He gets a pass on that for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, not a pass, but, you know. No. Get, I, it, we'll forgive, it, I've forgiven him a little. <laughs> that's, 
that's pretty big of you. I, you. Not a I, lot. No. Okay. <laughs> just fair. <laughs> just credit where credit's due. That's a decent thing to say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So on the Natalie and David storyline, should we rank where we put this storyline out of the eight? Oh, it's pretty low for me. I won't lie. Is it? Um, is yeah. it low? Yeah. Is that just because of the Natalie stuff or just the whole thing? I mean, the the, the thing is, that's all it is. Oh, I can't really say that's all it is because that's all it is to any of them. They mm-hmm. only have their story. But it just seems that less interesting than some of them, mm-hmm. I think. Like with Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman's character, mm-hmm. you've got genuine heart-wrenching emotion there. With Laura Linney's character, oh, don't. as much okay. as you don't see it, it's horrible what she's going through. She's basically mm-hmm. given up a life for a brother. Um, mm-hmm. The story with Liam Neeson and his son, mm-hmm. again, he's dealing with his grief while trying to... It, it just seems, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the most interesting story. So mm. I'd probably put it at oh maybe three or like well if you're going high do you going high to low low to high like number one's the top so then like then probably about six okay I'm gonna put yeah. six for Faye I don't know what I'm gonna rank it but you've already said like four storylines I like more than this so I think it has mm. to be at least a, like a five at this point yeah I'm gonna put five for Hannah for now. Okay, do you like Hugh Grant in this? He's, he's neither here nor there. Really? He's, I mean, different. I really am. Like, I, I love him wow. in Bridget Jones. Love. Um, I really do love him in Bridget Jones. He's horrible, but no. he plays a horrible character. He's so um, good. But he's a bit of a wet mop in this, I think. See, I, I do like Hugh Grant in this. So I like how goofy he comes across in moments. There's that scene where he's like walking away from Billy Bob Thornton and he like double waves at Natalie. I literally laugh out loud at that because <laughs> it's just so like nerdy and it's just so cringe. I don't like the dancing scene. Like dancing scene's been played to death, but you know, I'll always sing along. Um, and I, I like when he has to go to house to house to find Natalie and he has to mm. sing the ca- Christmas carols to the little girls and like his copper has got this amazing voice. I think that's just like a really cute little moment. But with everything you've said, I can't like, there isn't much emotion. No. Um, it's very it's very much you know they're going to get together in the well, end. Of course. That's going mean, to happen. As soon as they latch eyes on no each risk. other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's no risk. That's a really good way of putting it. Okay, right, well, let's move on then to Karen and Harry, who are Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman. So the reason why I put this next is because Karen is probably our next character who uh, comments out her body, and there is a very clear comparison being made between Karen and Mia, who is Harry's Mm -hmm. secretary, um, which I find just repulsive <laughs> mm-hmm. so the first thing i want to say Faye, is like did you know that emma thompson wore a fat suit for this no yes Jeez. i know 
oh my god no <laughs> i know isn't it isn't it awful isn't it awful so apparently richard curtis said that they wanted her to m- look more like a normal woman and i think emma thompson is quite naturally slender so what they is put this a guy's fa- obsession sorry yeah. no 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 your anger is fully fully warranted that is mental that is I know. absolutely insane isn't it insane isn't yeah. it insane I mean, especially for the point as well that it doesn't it doesn't really serve anything in her storyline. I I feel like if you're gonna attack any insecurity of the character, it would be her age. Yes. I think it's yeah, she's dealing with not being that young, sprightly person anymore. But but, but I think the film's interpretation of the age is via her body. Like, you know, she's a woman who's had two kids. You know, she's probably like what, in her forties? Um, compared to Mia, who must be like in her twenties, who who has no kids, you know, we know that um, you know, women's bodies change with children. So I I think that is the logic behind that reasoning. Um, okay. but yeah, like <laughs> I when I read that, I just it broke my damn heart. And so uh, I I I. I love this storyline for like the content and how emotionally jarring it is, but it really, really breaks my heart, Faye. It does every single time. And uh, do you know what? Thinking about it just now in this moment, that mm. might be the reason I come back to this film is for this one storyline in particular, because you want to love Alan Rickman so much. Oh. He seems to love his wife and does he? you think nothing's <laughs> going to come of it. it you, act, you never actually see him and Mia. Mm-hmm. and do anything but alan rickman has confirmed in interviews yeah. that they did sleep together which is horrible yeah emma emma freud has who's richard curtis's current wife and she was the script editor she's confirmed that they do sleep together oh no the most horrible thing about i mean i, I don't know if you saw me going off on twitter last night the mm-hmm. ugliness of that necklace is just, i did <laughs> i mean who designed that Oh my god, it's like nine ninety nine from Argos back in two thousand two. <laughs> Jesus, awful. Um, oh god, two hundred seventy five I mean, quid, isn't it? You what? Sorry, I think it's two hundred seventy five pounds. Ooh, in twenty twenty in twenty two thousand and three money as well. That is ridiculous. Yeah, that is it's a lot of money. It plastic. <laughs> it looks awful, and she looks tarty as anything wearing it. Oh. It looks awful, but the um. The thing that gets me about this scene the most, yeah, I mean, obviously, is Emma Thompson's hope that she is going to get a nice piece of jewellery for Christmas. But it's the fact that when she goes, two things, actually, when she goes and cries, that she has to let it out and then get it together for the kids. The kids. And she just pushes it aside for now. She's like, right, let's do this. But the fact that Emma Thompson drew on her real life experience to cry. Oh, and I hated Helena Bonham Carter for a while Mm. after this absolutely yeah. hated her but they've made friends now mm-hmm. and they're all better and they realize it's kenneth branner that were a dick in the yeah. situation and not them for me so. it's still on site if i see kenny b like <sighs> asshole i know I, I, I can't i i i totally agree with you i think this storyline is so interesting because alan rickman okay so fucking love alan rickman mm-hmm. um he's such a tremendous actor like and i know like everyone thinks that but he really really is and in this role which he could have played 
so sleazy. He could have played it so, like, obvious. And yet he chooses to play it with such subtlety and almost like, um, like he's so unsure of himself. He's so not sure that Mia does fancy him. He can't, like, he can't let himself believe it. Because, like, I don't know, I don't know, his, I don't know, maybe in his late 40s, maybe in his early 50s in this film. And Mia, like I say, like in her 20s, he's just not going to let himself believe it. And that he really does so well to show that kind of torment inside. Because uh, you hear all the time about men who go after younger women, um, you know, it helps them feel like they're getting their youth back. It, you know, it helps them feel like their life isn't over, gives them a distraction from like the family and the kids and the career and blah, blah, blah. All these reasons, all these like midlife crisis reasons why yeah. older men tend to stray away from, you know, their partners of X amount of years and go for younger people. But Again, like any other film, would have he the the actor in, of choice would have played it a lot more obviously, but Alan is just so measured, and like even like the scene where we realize that the necklace has gone to Mia and it's actually the Joni Mitchell CD, hmm. like Alan's face in that is like he's so excited to give his wife a gift that's not the scarf, you know, not the scarf. That's like the main thing. And then obviously, you know, Karen knows that it's not the necklace and she knows exactly where it's gone to as well. Like she knows, like it, the instinct was there from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And Alan Rittman's face is just like, but I got the CD. I did good, right? And it's like, we know you cheating dog. Like, fuck. How could you do this to our Emma? Um, but it makes sense because me, oh my God, Mia just throws herself at him like no like in no complete opposite to Alan Rickman Alan Rickman has all the tact in the world to a certain point he's so subtle in his performance where Mia is like throw like the scene where she's literally like her legs open I literally noticed that for the first time watching that yesterday that her legs were wide open I was like whoa that's a bit full-on isn't it could you imagine I mean I honestly like I'd love to have a bit of her audacity. I, I pro- like I would do so well with it. Like the co- the brazenness. She's well. That's why they have her dressed up as a devil, isn't it? Because she right. clearly. Mm. Please, can we talk about that? Why <laughs> is she dressed as a devil at a Christmas party? <sighs> Purely to show that she's a horrible person. <laughs> What a, what a crappy way of doing it. We already knew, mate. We already knew. We know. We didn't We're there. Homes. No. Jesus. Oh, also, I um, I think it's really interesting how Mia is meant to be friends with, uh, what's his name? What's Angelina's character's name? Yeah. Yeah. Mark? Yes, Mark. Um, so, so Mia is friends with Mark, right? And both Mia and Mark are wanting to be with someone who is unobtainable. And mm. I think that's really interesting how both of these friends have these same moral like issues. Just maybe, one is acting on it and one isn't. Yeah, I think maybe it's like their, I don't want to say lifestyle, but <laughs> maybe how they view that they can just well they think mind you no because andrew lincoln doesn't think he can get her he doesn't want her to know he wants to keep that to himself he's like Mm. um i don't want my best friend to find out about this but she clearly just goes for it yeah yeah she definitely has like i don't know she knows alan rickman is vulnerable 
she knows if she just goes a little bit further, a little bit more obvious, a little bit more that he will crumble. Like any kind of sense of like being a husband or a family man will just fade away because she wants, he, 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 he's ultimately flattered by her attention. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think Mia actually fancies Alan Rickman or do you think she fancies the power that he has and maybe he has the power to buy her nice things like that shite necklace? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible Argos necklace. <laughs> um, I, I, she comes across as... She comes across as a woman who is used to getting what she wants and I think she just automatically thinks that if she takes an interest in someone they're going to take an interest in back in her. I'm, I don't think it's, I think it's power move on her point on her part, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's a bit of both. Cause I, I also fancy Alan Rickman. So I get that. Mm. Um, but I also think it's more of like a dominance thing. Like it's like, I'm going to bag the boss, the husband, the unobtainable man. Um, yeah. Personally, I mean, we don't know a lot about Mia at all as a person. We know that she fancies Alan Rickman and that she's a sex- secretary and that's it. That's all we know of her. Oh, and Natalie's neighbour. That's all we know. There's a weird scene as well. I say weird. It's, it's a blink and you'll miss it. I, and I think it's after the Christmas party they've been to and Emma Thompson says, you know, just be careful who you hang around with and who you talk to. And then we cut to Mia in her underwear for a split second. And I'm like, so Why? that is Richard Curtis has confirmed that is him comparing Emma Thompson's body because you know she has that slip on so she's got yeah. a more I'm going to say a word that might trigger some people so I apologize a more matronly outfit mm. and then we cut to the young Mia in her like washboard abs and her incredible like you know sexy underwear and it's might be this direct comparison between Emma and Mia. And that's why that scene exists. So we are literally comparing both women. We are comparing both women in their underwear. And this is like Alan's, like, fucking Sophie's choice. You know, like, oh, well, which one do you want? Do you want the, you know, the older woman who's been with her at least 13 years? Or do you want this hot young thing? And again, again, like, the film is meant to be going, like, morally, obviously Alan Rickman shouldn't. But the temptation is too great. Like she literally dresses the devil, Faye. Like she mm-hmm. is a, the she is a temptress. And so, yeah. you know, like we said earlier, like the film doesn't make it explicit that um, Mia and Harry do have sex, but it has been confirmed afterwards. And um, like yeah, yeah through, through through the different writers and scripts and actors and stuff like that. Um, and then they've also confirmed that because there is a 2017 like red nose day special thing i haven't seen it i've just read what the plot was in prep for this but they don't show um harry and karen's story they, they're not in it and i guess part of the reason is because alan rickman will have passed at that point yeah. but they are meant to have stayed married and emma freud has said but home isn't as happy as it once was right I get I get the impression from the end that that's what happens when yes. they're at the airport because she's waiting for him. I don't it doesn't feel like that's just for the kids. That yes. feels like them. Yeah. I I have at least two times in in my notes here just said like you need to divorce him Karen. Like life can be better than this. 
Like I yeah. understand, I understand it's Alan Rickman, and I understand that obviously we have a lot of history and they've got the kids, but like he really takes advantage of her. Like I don't know if you've heard that phrase, um, it's like really like popular on TikTok, but the like, um, if he wanted to, he could. He, yes. Yeah. Like Alan yes. Rickman's Harry is the definition of that. He could have bought Emma Thompson that shite necklace any day of the week. But he cho- he's actively choosing not to because he knows, well, she'll just be happy with a scarf. But he chooses to get his secretary an, an expensive necklace, right? Because he can. He has the ability to do that. He just chooses not to do that for his life partner. I won't lie to you, though. I still wouldn't leave Alan Rickman. No, even if he <laughs> cheated on you with what's her face, the devil, I'd probably let it go. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm joking. Okay, let's go say, Faye. Are we going to have to have a, a chat? About no, it? I'm. <laughs> no, every, every time I watch this, I always have to go into my head after and go. Right, we're just going to picture Alan Rickman in the in-demand video, and everything is going to be okay. <laughs> Fine. He's a nice guy. <laughs> He's a nice man. Um, there is, you know how like um couples have joke like inside jokes um so me and my partner have like a few like movie quotes we'll just randomly say to each other and mm. one of ours is from harry in love when he just goes a classic fool <laughs> we <laughs> say Aww. that to each other but he's meant to be like a really like sad moment right but we just yeah. <laughs> is the way that alan rickman says it in like his like nasally voice like a classic fool <laughs> <laughs> But then, oh. but then Emma Thompson like falling up going like, but you've made the life I lead foolish too breaks my heart. Oh, it does. She's so good in that role. I know it's only for 10, 15 minutes, no, however long it's Bob, but she's so good in it. She's fantastic. I mean, obviously everyone loves the crying scene. Um, she is phenomenal, phenomenal actress. She's a fantastic character. Like there's something really like a magnetic about Karen. Uh, you know how she's pulling all her kids together and she's obviously like a really good mum like she's fucking on it and yet it's not enough quote unquote it's not enough um and I think just you know coming back to what we talk about on this podcast it's really fucking shit how they're comparing women's bodies and and acting like one is more desirable than the other so who can blame Harry you know I think that kind of explicit explicit storytelling is really icky have you seen um i think it's called good luck leo grand oh yes yeah so i i like to think that she's gone from this to a more positive positive commentary on an older person's body such a good film i fully bawled my eyes out at the end like i brilliant it was such a good film just to see a woman's body like so like uh, like not in any light it's not in a sexy light it's not in an ugly light it's just a body it's just there it's just such a fantastic closing scene and full really credit is. to emma thompson for doing that like because that is a brave scene to shoot so she was God, love so her. good so good oh yeah love her. phenomenal but yeah yeah so if you want it uplifting that's your uplifting film for her sadly not this one not that no 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 it's no. not this one is it where are you gonna rank it Oh, this is number one for is me. Is this I your think. one? Okay. Yeah, this is my number one. Okay. Yeah. I think. Mm, oh no, I know what my number one is, so I know it's not that. So I think it has to be two, but I might move it down again controversially. Okay. 
we'll get there because one of the storylines oh, okay. completely threw me this this watch where I was like I actually really like this one and we'll get there because we'll taste it for later okay so gonna move on okay. to Billy Mack and manager Joe so this is Bill Nye and Gregor Fisher okay so I put this third because I think bar Aurelia's sister <laughs> who we never know her name um Joe is our only actually what I perceive to be a truly fat character. Like, Gregor Fisher is known to be a fat man. Like, he's always casting those roles. Oh, you know, get your bag. Do it. Um, he is Rabsi Nesbitt, He right? is Rabsi Nesbitt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have... Billy Mack is, like, this aging rock star who's doing, you know, the cheesy one-hit wonder for Christmas. And basically, we're following those guys as they're kind of doing the whole press round for them like you know they're going on the Ant and Dec show oh, Ant and Dec are so funny in this film I love it um and the biggest competition is Blue and I was like I want to know what Blue's song is because I used to love Blue <laughs> surely drive-by it's going to be drive-by right <laughs> oh yeah so Christmassy <laughs> clear by <laughs> um but this is actually the only um thread where they have no connection to anybody else Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, they everyone oh, they everyone knows of Billy Mac because he's famous, but Billy Mac doesn't know any of our other characters. No, he doesn't. Oh, that's weird. I never yeah. noticed that till now. There you go. Oh, <laughs> I bring stuff. Uh, so, what what are your thoughts on this storyline? I think it's quite sweet. Mm-hmm. I think it's a sweet storyline. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Nye is great at playing aging rockers. If again, if you watch like, the boat that rock and is, is oh, what's it called? Still crazy. Um, okay, this is his thing. This is what he likes. It's not. I don't want to say it's what he likes doing, but this is this is his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's there for comic relief. This whole I'll get naked yes. on Christmas Eve if I get to number one. Yes, but you've also they don't explore it much. But this is the friendship one. This is the, yeah. This rather than any sort of love or you know despair or whatever. This is the friendship one, uh-huh. and I like that. Billy is not Billy. Sorry, I like that Bill Nye basically says that Billy, in a way, is like his partner mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to be with anyone else for him. Is is yeah. happiest and comfiest when he's with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good I storyline. Th- I like this one. I, I think. The platonic part is really nice. Mm. Uh, I just hate how Billy talks to Joe. Like, well, yeah, I, mean, that, I think that's the point of it. He, he talks to him like a piece of trash. Yeah. But he, but he does it out of, like you're jabbing with your friends. I think he sees it as like bants, but <laughs> it's not actually bants. <laughs> I, I, totally, I totally hear you. I totally hear you. I think that's how it's meant to be painted. But I would agree more if Joe gave it back. But yeah. but Billy is going on like national radio, calling him the ugliest man in the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> like I I, re- I get I love love the scene where Marcus Briggs stalks DJ and that like, interview yeah. scene. I think is really like Bill Nye is really good in this film. Like he is funny. Um, yeah. 
but every time like Joe just looks so like upset or just so in despair or just like behind the camera is just like ah and I just think oh Joe just needs a hug man because even at the end where he finds out he gets he he's got Christmas number one and he's like well either I'm gonna go back to my manager's um my fat manager's apartment and drink myself into like a coma or whatever he says or I'm gonna hang up this phone and get invites to all the most glamorous parties around town and like the thing is if I was if I was to agree with you that like this is banter then Joe would have shouted out at that point like oh you'd be so lucky mate but he doesn't yeah. he just he cringes he like he kind of shuts down like just like oh god again and I just think it's so sad I, I guess the point of it is to build this idea that he is the worst person in the world so eventually when you Billy. do get to the end yeah yeah you know the um Bill Nye's character Billy Billy, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. What's his What's his manager called? I should have Joe. done my research on this. Joe, thank yeah. you. So I think the idea is you paint Billy in this light that he's the mm-hmm. most awful person on the planet. So when mm-hmm. it does get to the end and he does show that emotion, you go, oh, yeah. he's not actually a bad guy, really. I do agree. You know? I, I, I do agree. And that's that scene where he explains that, the you know, you've ended up being the love of my life. That's a really gorgeous line. That's so yeah. lovely. And you know, platonic love is just as important as romantic love. Like, you know, I know they're on different pedestals, but, you know, we need our friends. We need our friendship. Like, these are really important relationships to have. And I, I love how Bill Knight, like, kind of the way he moves his hands because he's really awkward because he's, like, declaring his love for his mate. And then on that, I really don't like when Joe says, like, as he is confessing his love, Joe goes, 10 minutes at Elton John's and you're, you're as gay as a Christmas tree. And it's like, <sighs> yeah again a different time i know i think um it, you know it's not acceptable it wasn't acceptable back then i don't think but um you could get away with saying something like that you could but then this kind of touches on something else i noticed this watch through which was there are so many jokes about i say jokes the setup is um uh i'm being inclusive in my language and then the other person will have a punchline of oh well i'm actually talking about a heteronormative thing like so in this like you know we're talking about uh you know joe isn't saying in any way like being gay is bad but he's ribbing his mate for like declaring his love to him in a platonic way but then you know the film is in no way going but gay's bad but it's just like it's this really awkward um phrasing of it and we have that again in other storylines um there's a good example coming up um and i just thought like ah in a film where we have zero queer representation zero like again something i hadn't recognized my first few watches of this film i was Mm. like that that's really obvious and what i read after is that there was a lesbian storyline so there was oh. a lesbian, yep. So the headmistress of the kids' school, we never meet her. Um, this was all filmed. Uh, so they had that character and she had a lesbian partner who was dying of cancer and they completely cut the storyline out. Oh, no. Yeah. That's a that, shame. That's a choice. The thing is as well, the, if you go about, oh, my GC didn't direct it, but... 
Did he just write four weddings? I think he wrote four weddings. Oh yeah, so like the John Hannah Simon Callow. The John the John mm-hmm. Hannah character in Four Weddings is done beautifully. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's I love not, him in that. I I love a film, especially when you watch an older film that just has um like a gay person or a gay person mm. existing and you don't yeah. need to comment on it. No. And it's just to. there and mm. every you just go with it. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um so I, it's he writes that really well. You would have thought that would have been one of the things he'd have kept in to mm. his favour, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mm. it like it's a choice. I don't know what what the thinking was around um cutting that specific one out, but they did. Yeah, they did. Oh, especially when you could have cut it for Colin's storyline. Jesus. You could have oh. got rid of that. Oh Faye. <laughs> we're getting there we're getting there <laughs> <laughs> um there's two things i want to mention about the joe and billy storyline um the britney spears shag joke really turned me off this time round. yeah oh I god was, 2003 should have been what 22 like, yeah jesus she's 19, oh. 1981 yeah so that's that was grim and then have you seen the red though special no no okay no. so uh, Bill Nye is in that, but uh, Gregor Fisher, Joe, isn't. And they say that Joe has died from a heart attack. Gregor Fisher's still alive. So I don't know why they killed him off, but I just want to take a moment to say um, one of the biggest fatphobic things that we as fat people can face is medical negligence because people perceive mm-hmm. us to constantly be unhealthy because apparently we're just walking placards for ill health. And um, one of the things is I get a lot in my comments existing on the internet is that uh, I'm a drain on medical resources or I'm going to oh, die from a heart attack, God. right? I should probably Sorry. put a sugar warning <laughs> before that. So... I always get told, oh, I'm going to have a heart attack before I'm 30. I'm like, oh, you think I'm younger than 30? Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, But, like, the the misconception is this idea that heart attacks only happen in fat people. Heart attacks, unfortunately, can happen to every single body type, any kind of walk in life. We know that. We know that. There are actually no fat-specific diseases or fat-specific illnesses because anyone can get like diabetes can happen to anybody so i think it's a really interesting choice how they make our only fat character die of a heart attack in the little sequel special thing again i don't know if it's that like detailed or that thought out but i thought it was worth mentioning as someone who's really sensitive to that kind of representation I'm glad you mentioned it because here I was thinking Richard Curtis had grown as a person. And yeah. if it is a choice to use it in that sense, then no, you've learned nothing, Curtis. You've learned nothing at all, mate. So those little like two brownie points you gave him earlier, you're taking them back. Take them away. Take them <laughs> back. back. That's it. <laughs> you don't get them. So what will you rank the Joe and or the Billy and Joe storyline? That's probably a better way of doing it. I would probably go seventh okay sorry <laughs> no, no no you do not have to apologize um <laughs> what am i gonna do what have i got coming up you know what i'm probably gonna i'm i think i'm gonna follow you because i know what my eighth is yes yeah. so okay i think we might have the same eighth by <laughs> <laughs> okay okay oh actually i don't know because 
there's still some I hate down here. I might have to redo this. I don't know. Jamie and Aurelio. Oh, God. I mean, I know it's supposed to be romantic. And oh my gosh, look at these people who don't speak the same language, but they speak the language of love. Ah! And they're saying the same thing. They just don't realize it. Bore off. Come on. If you've got enough money to just drop your responsibilities and go off to France and pay for a cleaner or a maid or whatever she's supposed to be and then fly out on Christmas Eve, if you've got that kind of money, I don't feel any uh, any sympathy. <laughs> any sympathy. No. No. <sighs> I, don't, I don't want to say he's a Tory, but he's probably a Tory. No, 100%. Yeah. No. I love... I love... Colin Firth. Love I him. love him. Love him. Love him. Love. Oh, especially in Bridget Jones, always Mr. Darcy. Love. Over, love. over Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just such a boring storyline again. And mm-hmm. I, I I fully understand the push for it and how it should probably be the most romantic thing in the film. Mm-hmm. But it don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. It just it feels braggy, if anything. Mm. <laughs> oh, look at me with my leg. <laughs> All right. Like a lake with eels in it. Yeah. Oh, fancy eels. Fancy, fancy French eels. eels. Eels that come out with monocles and top hats. How'd you do? The yeah. Mr. Monopoly man of eels. <laughs> but nah, sadly not invested in it. Not invested in it at all. And oh my gosh, just hitting on a sister at the end. Don't. Like everyone just hitting on a sister. Don't. Jeez. Well, she, she, she mentions the sister earlier on. He said, she says, um, you'll turn up like my sister. You're getting chubbier every day. And he says, I have one of those constitutions where I never put on weight. You know, they're having their like mismatched conversation. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So I would say, I think this is my hottest couple. I think Colin Firth oh. and, um, I think her name is Luthia. Um, I think they are so damn hot. I think they're such good looking people and I, they have chemistry. I will not take that away from them. But from a purely plot point of view, this story blows. Like, I again, I get, I get we're meant to just go, it's so romantic, but it just comes across really cringy. And the bit that really, I, I had to keep pausing it to write down notes was... He has flown back to France where he's learned his Portuguese in a couple of days. Like, literally, mm-hmm. th- like a, 24 hours has passed. And he's apparently learned enough Portuguese that he could go back to France to go to her dad and ask for her hand in marriage. They've never even had a conversation before, Faye. They've never even spoken. And apparently, and I know he goes like, oh, you know, like, you might not be as foolish or as crazy as me. He's like, you are an insane person, Jamie. That's an insane thing to do. And they were all meant to be like, you know, clapping. And, you know, the, the sister does say, like, my father's going to sell Aurelia to an Englishman as a slave. That's really funny because that's exactly what you should say in the situation because this is an insane insane turn of events just ask her for a drink colin do you know who does insane stuff like this <laughs> who rich people because <laughs> yeah, they, they can afford to get divorced mm-hmm. <laughs> he probably paid you see him with his headphones on learning languages on the sly he probably paid for like a language coach to help him because he can do that oh god honestly it's so it's so cringe 
it is funny though when he turns up to the house and he decides he's going to turn away and the kids are going i hate uncle jamie i hate uncle <laughs> love the i hate uncle jamie that is really funny and then do you notice like the brother is in the back yes i did yes, yeah yes. and it was, again like sheepish very sheepish um you know seeing sienna i don't know how you ever say her last name is it gullery gullerly i never know mm. um jill valentine from resident evil fucking love resident evil uh <laughs> yeah like, like so like you know she's she's cheated on him with the brother and this is like a really awkward line delivery from colin which um again only a tory could write this which is oh did the lady of the house let you in what a lovely obliging girl <laughs> who says those words together a lovely obliging girl what are you fucking talking about she just opened the door well that's what you think obviously you don't realize that you know he's been riding your missus yeah. but you know also by the way if i was sleeping with her and she gave me that line of i need you at least two times before my idiot brother comes back before your idiot brother comes back wow that went incestuous i did not mean that <laughs> <laughs> i would i wouldn't be sleeping with her because that is cringe that is it's oh yeah hurry up big boy <laughs> oh my god it's so wrong and it's also like just like the least tactful thing you could say you had like you you would never scream if you're having such a like family destroying affair as this is you would not just be screaming those incredibly um i don't know telltale words you know because he because like the, the brother could have left and 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 um colin could have been none the wiser but no, no no she just has to exclaim through this house this house which was called the cottage by the way i don't know if you noticed that on the door it's like called, like the rose cottage oh, or something God. like that see rich people don't even have numbers they, they don't have, have numbers they don't have numbers no <laughs> who needs numbers when there's names <laughs> <laughs> my house is called live laugh love <laughs> So the other bit of trivia I read, which literally made me want to be sick. (sighs) Writer and director Richard Curtis and other members of the production had a 45 minute meeting to determine what colour underwear Aurelia would wear for the lake scene. Oh, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. I know. Why? It's almost like, but why would you even be discussing that? Like, mm-hmm. unless they didn't want to have him white because it would show too much arse crack. And then they sat there for 10 minutes and gone, well, how much arse crack is too much arse crack? Or maybe we just don't you know? show the arse. Oh, freaking hell. It gets creepier with each fact I read about him. <laughs> it gets weirder with every interview he does. I know, I know, I know. I, when I read that, I literally was just like, is this... Is this it? Is this real life? Is this this what making a film is? You know, like 45 minutes discussing what colour underwear this poor actress should wear. Like, uh, poor poor woman. I'm starting to think his wife doesn't sleep with him. (laughs) Seriously, why else would you be on this obsessive level with such weird details? Oh, it's gross. Okay. Um, and then oh, I guess the other thing we should mention is Aurelia's sister is a, a larger woman. We don't know her name, um, but the father yeah. calls her Miss Duncan 2003. Because apparently they have Duncan. It be, as in Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, as in Dunkin' Donuts. 
So they have Dunkin' Donuts over there. I don't think they do. No. Do they? It's a very American, no. like, go-to yeah. phrase, isn't it? Um, yeah. Miss Le Petitier, 2003. That would have been yeah. more culturally that relevant. Been, uh, <laughs> yeah. If you're going to fat shame the woman, at least do it <laughs> properly. <laughs> make, make it geographically accurate, thank Please. you very much. We're not asking for much here. <laughs> All right. What a toss-up. What I know, I know. It's just, oh, I, I was literally about to say you can't write it, but you can because he wrote it. He oh, honestly, there's so many sins in this script. I think I, I cannot remember. Do you know for the amount of times I've watched it, hmm. I literally wrote on the opening. This is so cringe, and I cannot remember what happens. There's something really, really. Cr- oh my god, I think it might be the wedding scene. The Heathrow. Terminal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Cringe. Um, love actually is all around. Uh, don't know if you. Every time I've been in an airport, I've been. If I, if I'm coming back from a holiday, I've been sweaty. I'm feeling dirty. I've been on a plane. I just want to get out of there. There's no hugging anyone or looking nice. I'm literally beelining for the door to get home. Mm. See, I I actually don't hate that. I don't hate the bookends. I think they're really cute. Um. But I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I hate the monologue. I hate the monologue. Yeah. I, I hate Hugh Grant's monologue. Um, they're like, you know, when I think about how, you know what happened in the Twin Towers. Um, I think the text sent weren't of like hate or revenge; they were filled of love. And it's like, I mean, I, I appreciate we're like two years past nine eleven in this film, but I just think it's like really like I don't know. I find it just a bit um gross i don't know what the right word is but it's like it's, it's like intense trying to pull the heartstrings by like pulling in yeah. this incredibly major life event that we all witness that we all have like real emotional attachment to and i think it's really lazy to like pull that in for just yeah. a bit of an emotional gut punch yeah Ugh. boo <laughs> right what we're we gonna give jamie and aurelia oh, where am i uh, they're not the lowest. I don't know. I will. I will give you your overview in a bit. I think five, five. I think. I know what my eight is. Okay, so I thought that was going to be your eight because this is my eight. Oh, it's not my eight. Okay, so I now think I know what your eight yes. is. <laughs> Next up, <laughs> I think is our thruple. <laughs> we have Juliet, Peter, and Mark. Oh. So this is the Kira Knightley, uh, Angie Lincoln, and Chiretel Ejia for storyline. First off, how old do you think Kira is here? She, I, if you were asking me how the character, how, how old I think the character is supposed to be, I'd probably mm-hmm. say about twenty four. But I know her actual age in this. Oh, do you? Yeah, eighteen. A. Teen. Mm-hmm. How obscene is that? I mean, it's not as obscene as uh, Brad Pitt and um, Kirsten Dunst in Interview with the Vampire. That's obscene. Was she 14 in that? I think she was younger than 14. I'm sure she really? was younger than 14. I think she was um, like 12. Fucking hell. Yeah. Oh, that's gross. Um, Emmy Rossum in the uh, Phantom of the Opera film, she's like 16 in that. And like Patrick Wilson and Jerry B are like in their 30s. Mm. Ugh. Yeah, it's not oh. good. It's not good. It's no. not fun. Anyway, 
I have such a soft spot for Keira Knightley. Somebody has to. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that, Matt. I'll take it on. I'll take it on. I don't hate Keira Knightley. I quite like Keira Knightley. Um, yeah, I really do. I and I think she's good in this. She has a really difficult part to play, mm. but I think she does the best of what she can. She she just she just constantly has Keira Knightley face, and that sure. I mean. In the, I don't know. It, it feels overblown, and this is going to this. This isn't a her thing. This is a direction thing. Um, so when we find out that Mark has been filming her at the wedding and only her, um, you cut to all these shots of her. She's going away on the boat, and you, this isn't going to come across well on a podcast. But all you can see is, yeah, it's like, oh, why, yeah. you, <laughs> why constantly waving, yeah, yeah, and just looking out into the distance, looking beyond sort of thing. And it, it just cringes me to my core. It really does. Yeah. Mm. No, I get that. I, I, I really do get that. Um, oh, right. Okay. So I have such an issue with the storyline, but so does everyone. Mm. We've all, we've all reviewed the storyline going, okay, this is actually really fucking weird, right? This is such a weird storyline. So you have Mark, Angela Lincoln, obsessed with his best friend, Peter's new wife, Juliet, Right. What's so weird about this film, or no, what's so weird about the storyline is that they never talk. He is outwardly hostile towards Juliet throughout this film. He clearly doesn't want to have a conversation with her, and yet he's apparently in love with her? As he put it, self-preservation? What does that mean? What does he mean by that? I think he means he is cutting himself off from her so he doesn't have to face his feelings. And he knows that if he's cutting himself off from it, he won't act on it. It won't ruin a friendship with his best friend. It won't, if it did go the way he wanted, it wouldn't break up a marriage. That's what okay. I think. Let me let me throw this at you, though. So when we first meet uh, Peter and Mark at the altar, he says, no surprises, right? No surprises. Not like the stag do. Not like the stag do. Do you admit the prostitutes were a bad idea? Yes, I do. And wouldn't it be better... That they weren't men. Yes. So, in this scenario, we understand that Mark has set up a surprise at the stag do to bring prostitutes, sex workers, to the stag do. What did Mark intend Peter to do with those sex workers? I always thought that was a joke. I thought they were joking around. Do you? Yeah. So, in my, like, harebrained mind, I've gone, right, so Mark set Peter up to get Peter to have sex with a sex worker, he could then tell Juliet, call off the wedding, and then Mark could make his move on Juliet. Yeah, you could also interpret it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think Mark's a cunt. Like, I really do. I think he's an absolute asshole. Like, again, okay. (laughs) So actually, this is probably the most hated storyline, which is why I'm going to have to rejig my ranking. Okay. If my partner's best man had a camcorder attached to his hands the entire night i would lose my mind mm-hmm. you're not the photographer get that out of your hand it's ruining every shot you know how like nowadays when you go to like weddings they say don't please don't take out your mobile phone during the ceremony because yeah. it's going to get in the shot in the shot it's exactly the same it's the, exactly the same. Like, Mark put down the video camera and then to find out the reason why he has it attached to his hand is because he's just creepily leering at Juliet the entire day. Mm-hmm. 
and it's meant to be his best mate, his best mate's wedding. And he, I, I, he is the most selfish person in this film. It's bombastic side eye with a capital B. <laughs> awful, <laughs> awful person. And he's awful. And, and then to just adopt this dickish attitude where he makes his best friend think that he hates his new wife. Be yeah. nice. Be Don't nice be to Juliet. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Yeah. I mean, even when she finds out, it, it, it just chooses to run. Right? I know that furthers the storyline and you wouldn't get to the horrible, creepy cards unless you had this storyline. But just talk it through and say, hey, listen, this is my situation. I'm never going to act on it. Sorry, I was being a dick to you. This is why. But no, he just runs and yeah. then scares that poor man in the street as he drops to his knees. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Actually, on that note, the needle drops off this film. The soundtrack off this film is, is great. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. Was it was everywhere, and this that, soundtrack, that is, everywhere. Yeah, it really mm. was. It really was. But that moment, I always love it. I always love watching that man like really get spooked. It's so funny. That god-awful hoodie that he's wearing oh. with like the colour block. It's so ugly. Oh, and like Andrew Lincoln, like I really do like Andrew Lincoln. I think he's a fantastic actor. It's actually really weird to hear him in his English accent mm. because we're just not used to it anymore. Um, but he is like his character is objectively yeah. bad. It's it's hard watch as well because I used to love him in Teachers. Properly loved his character. Yes, and in, in here he's just a sniveling little weirdo. Oh, he's a weirdo. Yeah. Yes. He's a weirdo. Um, Angela Lincoln has said in interviews, looking back, his character Mark is creepy and inappropriate and that he wishes that they would have rewritten his scenes to make him appear more reasonable and normal about his feelings for Juliet. Yes, Angela. That's exactly what should have happened. You know what's not normal? Turning up to someone's house with a boombox and cards <laughs> no. and pictures you've clearly printed yeah. out. <laughs> you have gone to my it does make me laugh this scene though where it says pretend it's carol singers yeah. like that yeah, sounds yeah. like carol singers I and am. not a full-fledged orchestra outside your door i would be investigating apparently peter isn't smart like he, <laughs> he just like lets this happen oh man and i used to think this was so romantic i used to think it was yeah, a so, did thing. I. so did i then you look now and mm-hmm. go freaking hell I know. You belong on a list, mate. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He fully does. Oh, it's so creepy. And then, and then, I, I, I always thought I knew what this meant. But why does Juliet kiss him? I maybe. To, I, I mean, I think to give him some sort of relief. And go, yes. Yeah. Because after that is like yeah. enough now, enough. That's, enough. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. I, I, I think that is what it is. But I just watched it again. I was like, yeah, like it's just such a weird. I don't know. It's almost like I kind of just read it a bit of like a, as a reward, like yeah. a reward for being honest. And I'm like, no, he's been a creeper. He has been a creeper. He deserves to be punished for being a creeper. Like, you know, if that means being isolated or ostracized, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he did film you. I understand from her her place, it's 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 quite all quite innocent. I don't believe she has any feelings for him. I don't believe she intends to take it further. 
Um, but it's still not on. <laughs> like it's, it's no, it's still not on. No, I still, I still no. wouldn't like it if I found out my partner had been kissing someone else because they got a crush on them. No. That'd be weird. But no, it, it, major boundaries get crossed in this particular storyline. And um, oh, there's one other thing I was going to say. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. So you know how I said earlier, like how we all have little like quotes we say to our partners. So I mentioned classic fool. Uh, so another quote I say, I look quite pretty. <laughs> I look quite pretty. I do it all the time. You have to do the teeth okay. with it as well. No, pretty, pretty. <laughs> I look quite pretty. So for me, that is my okay. So you know when you try to do another accent, mm. and you need you need a line to get you into it. Yeah. So I'm like full disclosure. I'm god awful at accents. I can barely do my own. <laughs> so for a posh English accent, I do. I feel quite pretty. <laughs> Because it's got all the cheese and you have to say pretty really weird. Oh, it's so fun. It's so satisfying. If you ever want to go old English, you could, uh, I always go uh, Robin Hood, Prince of go. Thieves, the witch. Oh, which goes, yeah. something vexes thee. <laughs> something vexes thee. Love it. Love that line. Oh, great. I no love Rickman, that. I love no so Rickman much. in my life all the time. Yeah. No, yeah. 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 He's a bit. He is a bit rapey in that one, though. Oh, I, the thing is, I went to see that when I was younger, and uh, I think it was my twelfth birthday. I think it was, mm-hmm. and uh, I was there. Me and my friends were all there, like drooling over Christian Slater, going, "Oh my god!" Mm, and my mom yes. was like, "Oh, Alan Rickman." <laughs> but now I've got older. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, Christian yeah. Slater." You've you've aged mm-hmm. into Rickman. I have. No, he's I have. Fin- he, he is phenomenal in that film. Mm. And I love that trivia that Costa was so angry about it. You know, so disappointed that Rickman was showing him up. I'm like, well, you're not Rick. If you're not Rickman in a film, you forget yeah. it. You know, yeah, interesting. Forget it, like literally, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, where are you going to rank the Juliet, Mark, and Peter storyline? Oh, are we so count- currently? Are we counting Colin in this? Yeah, we will do. Right, okay. Um, then I'm probably going to go, I mean, purely for a lot of it, comedy value and WTF moments, it's probably going to go four. I think they're going to be my number six. Okay. Fair. Okay, so next so, so next it is Colin and the Americans. Ugh. We've already kind of mentioned everything I want to say about Colin and the Americans. Yeah. Um, because there really isn't much to say. Mm. It's trashy, it's pointless. And I really don't know why this is in the film. I mean, apart mm-hmm. from, suppose, like you said, his fantasy, um, it benefits no one else bar Curtis. No. Is it your eighth? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Perfect. It's my eighth as well. Dead last I've place. moved. Martin Freeman and Joanna Pages. Oh. So I don't even know what their names are. Um, I think she's called Sarah. I believe she's Sarah. Um, no, I'm, she's Judy, and he's John. He's just Judy. She's just Judy, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the just joke. Judy. Yeah. I like these two. Right. No, Faye. This was my. Oh my god! This is so much cuter than I remember. Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah, it's super sweet. They're not dragging anyone else into this relationship. Um, somebody said online no. they've met at work. It's organic. Um, yeah, it flows beautifully. Uh, they respect yeah. each other, 
and they have nice conversation and they're just two nice people who end up yeah. going on a date and super respectful mm-hmm. you know um about because they're like a really like awkward i know the whole point of the joke is like how they're meeting and it's so like in literally in your face like tits in your face but they're so respectful of each other and they seem to be really comfortable around each other and you know his little like asking her out for a Christmas drink when she's like feigning like blowing him is so cute and his little light little arm I was like yeah <laughs> and um I- I've said in this podcast before I am not the biggest Martin Freeman fan by a good way I don't like him okay but I find him really endearing in this film mm. and I think part of that see he this is pre-Hollywood Martin Freeman yeah he looks like a bloke. He does. Well, yeah, I mean, he always did. I, I'm a big Martin Freeman fan. You Sorry. are. Okay, no, good. We need, we need this balance. Because you didn't like Kira, I did. You like Martin, I don't. Yeah. So that's good. Balance. I've, I've been a big Martin Freeman fan since The Office. Um, right. And this is how it, this is, this is Martin Freeman to me. This is how I know him. Yes. And how yeah. I recognise him. Not him mm-hmm. going, I mean, apart from Cargo, Cargo were amazing. But like going off and doing all the Marvel stuff, it's, ugh, I hate that Marvel accent. Can I do, it can't do an American accent. The only thing about this storyline that I really, really do not like okay. is the uh, moment when they're on the steps and oh okay yes they've had the kiss and that's all yeah. sweet and adorable and that's lovely and mm-hmm. he goes to walk away and joanna page is joanna page mm-hmm. just you yeah, yeah yeah um oh god i'm cringing just about to say it when she I says know. all i want for christmas is you and i'm like Ugh! it's you and i nearly vom at that line i'm like that is disgusting <laughs> if someone did that to me i'd be like sorry we're not having a second date see ya <laughs> I'm gone. Oh my god! Imagine if hey, imagine that actually happened in real life. Wouldn't you just die? I die. I die on them steps. Die. Pass away. It's so much. And I think also this film has a really big problem with editing. Mm. So that scene was clearly meant to happen after the concert scene because that would make more sense like she's just heard all i want for christmas is you so it makes sense why she would then say to martin freeman afterwards but yeah we see it chronologically before that so there's no context of why she would say that i'm not saying it would make it better i'm not saying it because it would still be cringe but it would make it the context would at least be there yeah but the film removes the context it's just this really cringe line from joanna and god bless her she she tries her best with it doesn't she she tries her best and that's all we can ever ask of anyone. It's, it's no hate to her. I love no, her as an none. actress. She's adorable yeah. in everything. She's fantastic. Mm. She's so good. She's so good in this. They're both great in this. But you're right. That line is horrible. Uh, but I do like his little like jump off the the, the like the stoop and the <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then the walk off is so good. <laughs> yeah. They, they're definitely like, I don't know if this is a fair s- statement, but they feel to me like our most British couple. Yeah. Oh, I'd say, I'm, I'd say, so like Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson, I feel like they're very British, but they're like upper class British. They're not like working class British. These feel more like working class British. Yeah. More relatable. The most relatable yeah. of the of the film. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good way of putting it. The most relatable couple. Okay. Where are you going to rank them? Three. 
Yeah, I'm going to write them three too. Yeah. So what are they called? We're called John and Judy, double J. Yeah. Okay, so we actually have two storylines left, so we actually have another place to put in. Oh, do we? Yeah, we do. Because oh. um, next up, we have ba, 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 Daniel and Sam, Liam Neeson and Thomas Sangster. We do have two left, yes. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're fine. Um, it, it helps. <laughs> so Daniel and Sam, we have stepdaddy Daniel and uh, the son Sam and mother slash wife Joanne has recently just passed. And we find out that uh, Sam has this super crush. I mean, he says he's in love, but, you know, crush on the cool girl at school, the cool American girl at school. There's a lot of, like, this rhetoric in this film that Americans are cool and English people aren't. Yeah. Um, Which I think is really weird. Uh, But yeah, she's the cool American girl at school, and they devise this plan that he's going to learn how to play drums within a few days in order to play drums at the Christmas concert while she's singing All I Want for Christmas is You, which is an inappropriate song to sing for like an 11 year old child, but Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever. And uh, yeah, that's the storyline. Can we just take a moment to mention Liam's character in that he's lost his wife? Yeah, absolutely. And how horrible Emma Thompson is to him when he wants to talk about it. If that was my friend. (laughs) She goes, get a grip. People hate sissies. No one's ever going to shag you if you cry all the time. His wife is warm in the ground and she's coming out with stuff like that. Have we? I think we've had the funeral scene by this time in the film. We've already had, like, when he's rang her because he's like, I've got no one else to talk to. And she's going, I'm absolutely, like, um, it's a really horrible time right now. Can I ring you back? Um, I'm terribly sorry your wife has just died. Or, like, I'm very aware that your wife has just died. She's just so blunt with her delivery. Mm-hmm. And it's so awkward because we don't see her be this cold or this I don't know unempathetic with anybody else in her life Mm. apart from with Daniel yeah even to a brother who we find out is Hugh Grant as the prime minister she's still got some sort of warmth for him absolutely absolutely I don't know what Liam Neeson's done (laughs) to her no horrible horrible treatment Oh, it's yeah. it's so sad um, I I think Liam Neeson's my favourite performance I I have a different one and it's so stupid the reason why but no no yeah no no that's fine you you yeah. hold on to it but I I think he's so good in this film he is, he is. there's he's so radiant like I I, I I'm very thankful that I haven't gone through any major grief in the way that Daniel Daniel has. But I can appreciate the desire to focus on anything else rather than the grief. So the fact that he like mm. jumps feet first into like trying to get this crush to work out for Sam felt so real. And like how committed he is, you know, like the whole we need Leo, we need Kate, we need them now. That's such a cute scene, and they're like mimicking, they're like flying over the sea. Like it's just so cute. And he's so he he treats Sam like an adult 
but still has that kind of child parent boundary. Yeah. And I don't know, I just think there's something really gorgeous about their relationship. I absolutely love it. It's it's because to me they're both healing. Like Sam yeah. is jumping into it because he needs something to focus on yeah. as well. And it's the fact that they it almost feels like they're doing something normal other than just sat mm-hmm. there grieving. And I think yes. that's probably why they feel so why they feel so real with it. They, it it's such a lovely storyline. It really is. Oh, it, bless you. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. And I think again, we you know, we mentioned the Billy and Joe storylines platonic. Mm. This is very like familial, and you know we understand Dial being stepdad. Mm. But then the bit where you know they they say we got to go to the airport, and he goes, "Okay, dad," and he calls him dad, and they're just like, "Oh, <laughs> baby." Yeah. Blank. I mean, Thomas Sankster was the child actor, wasn't he? He was just in everything yeah. for a while. I think he was only, um, what was it? There were five five years difference between him and Keira Knightley in this film. Mad. Blows my mind. Mad. Yes. Absolutely insane. Um, and I also noticed there's a scene where, I think it was when, um, where Sam is explaining that he has fallen in love with this girl Joanne at school. Mm. You can see that the gherkin is being built in the background. Oh. I didn't yeah. See that. So, yeah. So I was just like, oh, I didn't I I have no I, I have no like concept of when the gherkin was open, but I've always known it to be there. So it was yeah. funny to see it being built. Yeah. Oh, weird. I'll look out for I it know. next time. Yeah, look out for it. Um okay, so where do you want to rank Daniel and Sam? What numbers have I got left? Okay, so you have two or nine. I appreciate we probably have to move oh, everything down. Yes. I might have to shift everything from one remains yep. in place. Everything yep. shifts down one. Okay. And they go three. Two. Right, so then last but certainly not least, mm-hmm. we have Sarah and Carl, played by Laura Linney and Rodrigo Santoro. I think it's Santoro. Your man. Um, oh my god! Honestly, like he's so dreamy in this. He's not my type. I, I like. I like. Oh okay. Fair. I like Rickman and Firth types as opposed to mm, no, conventionally I mean, hot looking men. <laughs> I I I like them all, babe. Like that's what that says about me. The men in this film are menning. I will give them that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like the lust we feel between Sarah and Carl, I just think is so palpable. Um, okay, so Laura Linney is, she works at the like publishers, uh, Alan Rickman's her boss, and Carl seems to be the graphic designer, I think they say. Yeah. And uh, she's been like head over heels in love with him ever since she got to, uh, to, to work here. Um, everyone knows it. I love how Alan Rickman's Harry talks to Sarah, like trying to encourage her in that weird, like slapping bit they do. Yeah, I it, think it's really cute. I do find it does come out of nowhere, though. It's like, come in yeah. here, sit down. Let me tell you, you're in love with this guy. Go on, get out. It's like, all yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's completely inappropriate, completely unprofessional, but clearly everyone knows. Yeah, clearly yeah. everyone is just waiting for this office romance to happen. Yeah. Um, and 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 I guess the most important thing is like. Carl reciprocates. Carl feels the same, and everyone can see that as well. But she yeah. can't because she's her. Um, but she has this really complex relationship with her brother, who's clearly in like an assisted living facility. 
um he needs to um have like constant reassurance from her is like always ringing her and again like back to harry he's obviously quite an understanding boss if he just lets her like pick up the phone whenever it rings like that's really that's that's some good managing of people however my thing would be put the fucking phone on silent that ringtone is goes right through me (laughs) back in the day though if you i I speak from experience if you had a mobile you did not have it on silent back in the day you wanted (gasps) everybody you wanted everybody to know you had a mobile (laughs) because mobiles were the new thing like we, I didn't get my first mobile till I was, oh, Jesus, two, 2001, I think, was my first mobile. And, um, yeah, you could, do, there were, you could do your own ringtones at one point where you could make your own music up or you'd actually pay for ringtones. It, oh, it was a different time back then. But, yeah, mm. you wanted everyone to know you had a telephone, so there were no putting it on silent back then. Got you, got you. And if, if, you, put it, if you put it on a vibrate as well, that would probably drill a hole in your desk (laughs) okay fair fair we're learning things okay so that makes more sense um what do you think of this storyline with sarah and carl i think the uh, from my understanding they initially set it up to make sarah look like she's got a partner and that she's talking to someone because it's like hi darling hi babe and it right at the start i always think it makes it look like she's got somebody else on the side and that's why she's not going for it but then you find out it's a brother um ah. but not too early on you find out it's a brother it's like halfway through her storyline that you find out um it, carl is kind of a secondary character in this story yeah. for me it, it wouldn't matter if he was there or not mm. i think it's what it represents in her getting some yes. freedom yes and uh yeah, stepping away from helping somebody else for a while. And it breaks my heart for her. It really breaks my heart that she just wants a normal life, but she's also got this obligation where mm-hmm. she will not leave her brother behind and she will, because she's the only person in his life. And mm-hmm. she chooses him over Carl and it's really sad. I know. I think it's, I think it's a really heartbreaking story because I, I, I fully understand why uh, Sarah does what she does. I in no way judge her for it. it. It's it's an impossible situation to find herself in. But you're just willing her just to have just even a night, a night of freedom, a night just for her where she centers herself and centers her own pleasure. And she can't do that. She feels so responsible for her brother. But like, you know, the bit of the Christmas party when Carl like slinks up to her and he's like, oh, just what, just one, t-. like he he says it so rushedly because obviously he's been like working himself up to say it, like oh, just one dance, um, if it's just our last chance, and then the Katie Melia song comes on and they still dance, and then he mm-hmm. takes her home and she does like a cute little like, ah, so excited, <laughs> but just randomly like, now that's done, <laughs> like that just felt so real. I think Laura Linney just plays it so well and yeah. just so. I don't know. She plays it with such a deep sadness, and like, it, it, like you say, it makes so much sense why. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then obviously when the phone rings, uh, and like that second time, and she, just, you know, he asks. Obviously, the brother asks her to come in, and that's it. Is it you know, Dunzo. And then they have that final, like you know, Merry Christmas, Carl. Merry Christmas, Sarah type thing, and it's very much like the nail in the coffin. Yeah. I think she she plays with such dignity. She's not 
she's not a pushover. She's not. No. It's not like she's been weak or pathetic or anything. No. She's, oh, it's no. It's just something she has to do. And she's, yes. It's family before anything else. Yes. The brother is her priority. Yes. And that's it. That is it. Um, apparently, in the Red Nose Day special, uh, they uh, the, for the Clomac Relief one, they didn't include Laura Linney's storyline. Oh. But they um, added in when they rebroadcast on NBC in the States... And they added in that Laura Linney has um, got married to Patrick Dempsey, or Patrick oh. Dempsey plays her husband in in, in it. Um, so to kind of give off this idea that she has a happy ending. Oh, okay. Um, because I think people find this one really upsetting because, yeah. like, it, I, again, it feels so real. Like it just, like you say, there's no there's no actual bad guy in this storyline. You know, if you go back to the Harry and Karen storyline, like Harry's clearly the bad guy. You know, he's a bad guy. But in this, there is no bad guy. No. It's just shit. It's just a it's just, shit situation. It's a circumstance. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just circumstance. Oh. My heart. My heart. Where are you going to rank Sarah and Carl? Two. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's my number one. Aww. It makes me cry. It makes me cry. Like, I, I really love it so much it, it, maybe maybe i just love to be sad who knows uh, <laughs> we all love to be sad <laughs> sometimes you need to be sad sometimes it's really cathartic to be sad it is okay it absolutely is <laughs> um before we go back to the rankings and i have i have a game uh yep. so there's one bit of trivia i read which uh, i just found it really interesting so you'll remember the Sugar Babe song Too Lost in You is playing as we get to the Christmas party, right? Yes. So that's on our UK version of this film. But in the States, they replaced the Sugar Babes with a Kelly Clarkson song called The Troubles with Love. Oh, they play that at the end of the film. Right, so they play at the end of the UK They play at the end of Love Actually, yeah. Okay, so yeah, but in, in so the US release, it's instead of the Sugar Babe song. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so writer and director Richard Curtis uh, felt bad for the members of the British band, uh, Keisha, Mutya and Heidi, uh, because like they missed out on the exposure to the US. So to make up for it, he put them on the soundtrack for the film About Time. If you've seen that, I actually really enjoyed that film. I have seen that bald at that Yeah. Film. You bald? I bald it like... Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Ugly yeah. tears at that film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 100%. On a Sunday afternoon 100%. whilst I was working, I'm just sat on my computer going, oh my God. Oh my God, no, that's not the time. That's not the time. <laughs> no, I, oh, I, I, I don't remember him being on it. I don't remember. No, I don't either, but I'm going to take this bit of trivia's word for it. And then also, Heidi Range went on to name her daughter Aurelia after the character in this film. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that cute? Oh, yeah. Isn't that cute? So I thought that was a really interesting bit of trivia. Oh, um, I like that. Yeah, I'm glad you like that. I okay. have a bit of trivia as well. <gasps> oh my God, uh, so please, yes. That, le- that leads to my favourite character in the film. <gasps> oh my God, I forgot. Yes, 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 yes. So my favourite character in the film is actually Rowan Atkinson in this film. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like forgot! <laughs> because he's, he's just, he's typical Rowan Atkinson. His oh, yeah. Somewhere, his facial features yeah, absolutely hilarious. I love this guy. And he only, mm-hmm. he's only in the film for probably two, is in two scenes. Two scenes. In, where he's buying the neck, the horrible necklace. God awful necklace. Um, and at the airport at the end, and he... Mm-hmm. So whilst he's rapping, he's taking his time and 
it's taking on forever and Alan Rickman's like, oh my God, yeah. just hurry up, yeah. just hurry up. And so I watched it last night and it got to the airport bit at the end and uh, he obviously goes to the gate and says, oh, sorry, I can't find my seat. And you think, oh, it's been him. He's been him again. He's been stumbly. He's been slow. Yeah. This is just yeah. his MO. And then he turns in and like, gives Liam Neeson this look and Sam's gone through. And in that second, yeah. I don't know what brought it on. I just went, oh my God, is he an angel? And I don't yeah. know where I thought it. Yeah. And then I read yeah. I read up on it and apparently initially he was supposed to be an yeah. angel. Yes. Stopping Alan Rickman from having the affair yes. and helping Sam. Yeah. And I love yeah. that. I love that. I know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think the first time you just think he's just be like a bumbling like sales assistant. And I get I love his monologue. I love they'll be ready in the flashes of flashes. <laughs> like I love it. It's so funny. But then yeah, when he comes back to give Sam the space to run through security you realize that oh like no he's like an apparition he's there to help our our main people so yeah yeah, he was meant he was trying to get Alan Rickman to not buy that necklace to not have the affair I mean the the sad thing is that in real life you know um well I I don't think it's an affair I think he broke it off uh James Acaster's girlfriend oh yes yes him to go out with Rowan Atkinson (laughs) (laughs) you know I don't know what to say to that. I don't know what to say to that. Rowan Atkinson's a funny guy. I I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't. No, I mean, I would. I I do it for the story. (laughs) Just so you can say you've been out with Mr. Bean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a fully, completely valid reason. Yes. (laughs) But no, I I I wish they'd have kept him like that. That'd been lovely. But yeah, yeah. I I think. Yeah, I think it would have been interesting to see, yeah to see how that would have worked because I mean it's a film that isn't it doesn't take itself too seriously in some of its storylines. Obviously, mm. it's playing with a lot of like luck in some of the storylines, mm-hmm. um, and then some of it is really really serious. So I wonder like how that would have fitted with like the more darker serious storylines. I think it probably um, needs it with, because it's. It yeah, needs a bit of, I think it, it might have just been too much or too on the nose. I think to have mm, an angel in there, an angel Christmas. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But yeah, thank you for that trivia. That's all right. Uh, let's go through our, our rankings. So our number nines are the same. We have put Colin and the Americans in at number nine. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Eight. So your eight is Billy and Joe. So Bill Nye and Gregor Fisher. My number eight is Jamie and Aurelia. Seven. So your seven is Natalie and David. And I've put my seven as Juliet, Mark and Peter. Mm-hmm. So then six. Your six is Jamie and Aurelia. My six is Billy and Joe. Then your five is Juliet, Mark and Peter. And my five is Natalie and David. So I think we literally just swapped our fives and sixes. Our fives and sevens. Yeah. Which is interesting. We both have put John and Judy as four. Three. So your three is Daniel and Sam, and my three is Harry and Karen. Mm-hmm. Your two is Sarah and Carl, and my two is Daniel and Sam. And then your one is Harry and Karen, and my one is Sarah and Carl. Mm-hmm. So that's not too crazy different. We don't have no. massively conflicting opinions. I think the, the top end of people is who you'd expect to be up there in terms of like, British actors and mm. the roles to play. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like there is definitely like a clear line between like good the good stories and then the bad stories. Yes, yes, 
Agreed. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, Faye, I'm going to end with a game. Okay. Is it like so? <laughs> Ooh, uh, no. In no way is this like Saw. I'd love it to be. If I could do like a Saw, a Saw crossover with Love Actually, there, there's something there. Uh, no, I didn't go that deep. Um, so on this watch through, I don't know if you noticed, but I started questioning what is the age gap between our couples? Oh, okay. Because I suddenly thought, there's no way that Hugh Grant and Martina McCutcheon are the same age, right? No, but no. not too dissim- not too dissimilar. Sure. So let's play that game. All right. Okay. How many years do you think there are between Hugh and Martine? Oh, I'm guessing she'd probably be about twenty five in it, and he'd probably be about maybe t- maybe ten ten years. Ten years. Sixteen. Jesus. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. <laughs> Sixteen okay. years. Okay, now what do you think the years are between Laura Linney and Rodrigo Santaro? Oh, I think she's a bit older than him. Mm-hmm. So I'd say he was 24. Okay. And she is probably in this 32. Okay, so what do you think? Eight years? Yes. 11. this is why i put it in the game (laughs) okay okay how many years are between alan rickman and emma thompson right alan rickman 2003 so probably about four so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go 51 for alan rickman okay and 37, mm. Mm. 40, mm. 40. So was it for 51 for Alan? And so 11 years. So you're saying 11 years. It's 13. Yeah. All right, okay. I, okay went, not, I went too far off on that. No, no, no. Good. That was, that was, that was your closest. Yes. But how many are between Alan Rickman and the actress that plays Mia? Jesus. Okay. So what's her name? I should really tell say her name. Heike. Heike. I'm gonna go. Oh, I can't be that much, surely. Can it? I'm gonna go 28. It's 25. Oh 25. You're close though. You're so so close. Yes, 25. Was. That was good. That was good. Okay. Uh Colin Firth and Lucia, who plays Aurelia. Um, in the film, I'm guessing she'd probably be a boot. Oh, I might go twenty. I might go twenty-five for her, and then Colin Firth is about fifteen years. Sixteen. Ah, you're getting, getting, you're getting better. You're tuning in now. You're tuning in. <laughs> this is good. Okay. How many years are between Kira Knightley and Chiwetel Ejiofor? Right. Okay. So when he was in Kinky Boots, he was probably... <laughs> I love your hearing her <laughs> thought process. <laughs> well, she, we know she was 18. We do. Uh, we know she's 18. 20? You think there's 20 years difference between them two? Yeah, I think he might be 38. He There's only eight. He's 26 in this. Shut up. <laughs> no. He <laughs> looks well older than that. Jesus Christ! 
I mean, I'm even going to double check that because I cannot believe how wrong you just got that. I know. Right, where, where's the Where's Chuetto? My intrusive thoughts won clearly on that no, one. No, you. That was so funny. Where's Kira? There she is. Right. So Chuetto Legio Four is 1977, and Kira Knightley is 85. So what's that? Yeah, eight years. Wow. Okay. That's way more age appropriate than I thought it was going to be. Yes, yes, that is our best so far. Um, but then how many years are there between Keira Knightley and Andrew Lincoln? Oh, that makes me think a significant age gap. No. Okay, I'm going to go... Oh. N- mm, mm. I'm, I'm questioning myself now. I'm questioning. <laughs> I'm going to take it down a bit. So I'm going to go 18. 12. Oh, I you're mean, keep aging up these men. I know, because they look older. <laughs> Maybe it's the jumpers they're wearing. Horrible, to be horrible fair. Zip-up jumpers. <laughs> Everyone looked older in the early noise. They okay? really did. They, they really, really did. did. Especially they really men, did. they used to spike their hair. And it, uh, it was oh, horrible. my God, please. Hated it. Okay. How many years are there between Liam Neeson and Claudia Schiffer? Is Claudia Schiffer older? I feel Ooh. like she might be older. Okay. I'm going to go seven in her... In her. So you think Claudia Schiffer is seven years older than Liam? Yeah. It's 18. And Liam Neeson is older by 18 years. Shut up! <laughs> no! <laughs> oh! <laughs> no! Poor Claudia! Do you know what it is though? I, I, because I, I didn't grow up with Liam Neeson, but I grew yeah. up with Claudia Schiffer. So in uh-huh. my mind, she's way <laughs> older than that. Wow, I'm sorry, Claudia. I know she's been. A, she's just been around in your life a long yes. time. Yes, yeah. I'm. I'm a what's the word? Projecting, projecting my yeah. memories. <laughs> uh yeah, exactly. Dang. I have one more for you. Okay. What is the age difference? Between Bill Nye and Britney Spears. Right, well, you said she was born in 81 and that's my age. Okay, perfect. So, so she was 22 mm-hmm. when this came out. I'm going to go 28. 32. Oh my God! You were so close! I was only four years off. That only is four years off. Though, by the it's way. disgusting. <laughs> it is the biggest age gap it, 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 well, in the film. Uh, but yeah, isn't that fascinating? That's mental. I just think like because it, there's there's in no, apart from obviously the Alan Rickman and Mia storyline, the age ne- age is not a thing in this film, and yet every single man is at least ten years older than their counterpart. Did we do Martin Freeman and? Oh, I haven't done Martin Freeman. They feel like they'd be the same age. I think they would be the same age. Yeah, that's a really good list. Live research. Live research. They're six years. Martin Freeman is six years older than Joanna Pace. Okay, all right. That's all right. That's the best. That is the best one. Yeah. Uh, And I didn't even bother with Chris Marshall and the actresses. I don't care. Because there's too many of them. (laughs) And we we also don't care. We also don't care. Oh, right. Faye, is there anything more we want to discuss on Love Actually? No, I think I think we've been pretty thorough. I think on we it. have. Yes, I yeah, don't think agreed. we hit it on Rickman too much. We could have gone far worse. 
I think we were pretty. Uh, I think we were pretty generous with him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, I mean, I guess. I mean, it's definitely not a pro Harry podcast. Mm. Uh. We, we, to be fair, I think I've definitely been ruder about Mark and Colin. I definitely have on social media. I definitely, definitely have. <laughs> I have dragged right. them within an inch of their life. <laughs> Drag. <laughs> um, okay, well, Faye, you know, we like to rate our films on how well we think that they represented fat bodies. And we like to rate them out of ourselves. So at a potential five Faye's, what would you give Love Actually for fat representation? I'm going to be, I'm going to be diplomatic here and say that I recognise it's of its time. So I'm, I still think two, I think two is quite generous. Yeah, I think two. But again, I'm giving benefit of doubt in this. Um, if, I was, if I was just first time coming into it as an alien on Earth, not knowing about the 2000s, then I'd be frankly disgusted. Mm. Um, mm. And I'd yeet that film into space. <laughs> yeah, two. Two phase. Two. Two phase. I'm going to give it one. Mm. One, Hannah uh and that is that is going to gregor fisher like it can only go to him he's our only fat character uh with a name anyway mm. and uh, uh but other than that um this is a gaslighting mess and it makes me yeah. sad and it makes me sad that martin mccutcheon doesn't seem to recognize that um but i'm not her i can't tell her what to think uh she can do what she wants she just has a platform which i'm gonna change it to one and a half is that all right can oh. i do half of me one and a half. You, we absolutely do yeah. accept halves. One so and yes, half. one and a one and a half phase, one Hannah's. Eh, I think yeah. that's I think that's fair for this film. So yeah. A twenty year old film. We're not gonna get much better. No. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Faye, for joining me on this festive journey through a British Christmas classic. Uh I really appreciated yeah, I really appreciate having you on. Can you please let me let me and the listeners know where they can find you and more of your work. At the moment, it's just um, spit, at Spit Grades on Twitter. Um, mm. I would love to tell you the rest of the socials, but that's what my husband does at the end of these <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> After years of doing it, I still don't know them. Um, <laughs> Twitter is still the be- Twitter X, sorry, X yeah. is mm. still the best place to get hold of me if you want to talk horror or anything, any sort of film. Well, the links to Faye's socials will be in the show notes below. And um, I'm going to say happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, and any other kind of holiday you celebrate over this time. I hope you have a fantastic Christmas period. Or whenever you listen to this, because I guess you don't have to listen to Love Actually at Christmas. You do, you do, or it's bad luck. It's bad luck. Yeah. Well, okay, well, you've heard it here then. Uh, don't, uh, please don't listen to this episode uh, unless it's Christmas. Um, and the listeners can find the podcast at Fats on Film on Instagram and Twitter, and myself at Queen B Says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Oh, and also, if you want to email me, you can uh, give me your suggestions, just let me know what you think at Fats on Film at Outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and I will see you at the next one. And remember to stay fat.